There are seven major signs that Jesus, or miracles that Jesus performed that ultimately pointed straight to Jesus. The Bible tells us that he did so many other things that the book's not even big enough to hold it, right? But there are certain things that are so poignant that we really, really need to pay attention to them because when we take them apart, they're good for all of us for all time. The Bible is useful for teaching and training and correcting all these things in righteousness. And I've seen that in these miracles, I can see my own flaws, my own strengths. What do I need to work on and what do I not? A couple of weeks ago, uh, we started with changing the water into wine. And then last week, we talked about healing. And this week, more healing but a little bit different. In John chapter 5, we're going to read about Jesus healing a cripple. Now, Jesus heals this cripple in a place that archaeologists argued for years did not exist because they could not find it. Until one day in 1988, they were excavating and they found the pool of Bethsaida. This was in Jerusalem. It had the five columns. It was just as it was described, but for years it was thought, oh, it's just a myth. Oh, Jesus, they just talked about him healing, but that wasn't real. In today's world, we often think, well, he did that back then, but he does things differently now. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you that no matter what brokenness you've ever experienced in your life, you're not the only one who's ever done it. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that when sin's involved, you haven't done anything that somebody else hasn't already done. And your sin isn't unique. So there's someone else that can help you, and there's someone that needs your help to do what? you can be the sign that points to Jesus. That's what these seven miracles that John recorded were designed to do, to point us to Jesus. So tonight we're going to look in John chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 1 through 18. So I'll invite you, in the honor of the reading of God's Word, to stand with me, and we will get through this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going under, somebody else steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, 
and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he even he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You can be seated. All of us experience brokenness, and sometimes our brokenness can remove our hope. So picture a guy who's been 38 years. 38 years he hasn't moved from this spot. Bethsaida, here's a little background behind this pool. It was a superstitious pool. It was believed to have healing powers. If you were a cripple, if you were blind, that's why all these hurt people, broken people, broken world, broken people, get them away, go somewhere, they can stay there. They believed that an angel had flown by and dipped his wing in the pool. Every once in a while, the pool would just bubble up out of nowhere. The rumor was, if you jumped in the pool and hit the bubbles first, you could be healed. And you have to believe that over time, someone had professed, I hit the bubbles first and I'm better. For whatever reason, it's been going on. This guy can't even get anybody to help him in, and he's watching bubbles bubble up for year after year after year. We don't know what caused that. Maybe it was an adjacent river that was feeding it. Maybe it was an underground spring. It doesn't matter. You know what does matter? The human mind. How we play into the reality that God created everything and he created us in it and then we want the fix of our brokenness and we will do whatever it takes to fix our brokenness on our own. Generally, I will do that before I go to God, but then Jesus shows up out of nowhere at a pool. And what does he do? He beelines to that guy. There's all these other people at the pool that weren't healed. God had a plan for you and me that day. And I think we're going to see these aspects unfold as we look at these, these poignant aspects that point us to Jesus. The first one is the place, the pool. The pool that the healing place took place in. It's a gathering place for brokenness. As I just described, Jesus shows up there. He has a disability and he can't move for 38 years, but he doesn't have anybody like we have today. They didn't build a handicapped ramp for this guy. At one point, someone that cared about him rolled him in, left him, and left. He's probably been hungry. He gets food when people bring him things. There's not wheelchairs. 
There's no Americans with Disabilities Act. There's no protection from the government. He's just sitting there begging for what he can get in desperation. That puts you in a certain social category. He was avoided, you would think, by many people. We don't know, but somehow, somehow, his brokenness happened. Long before, and he held it for a long period of time. What are some brokennesses? What are some broken areas in our life? I would say they're physical brokenness, like he experienced. I can't do anything about my situation. I'm stuck. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, because we live in a broken world, outward, we are wasting away. If I have another surgery that I have to schedule or reschedule, it makes you sick. Just after a while, these things just hang over you, and the more time goes by, the more broken you feel. You ever question brokenness? Just think about Walgreens. Just think about the drugstore that you have to go through you know, week in and week out. And if you're perfectly healthy, do this for me. Go to the medicine aisle and look at both sides of the aisle and then the aisle over that has all the Band-Aids and the stuff that you can heal yourself with. If you have a runny nose, there's thousands of dollars worth of pills just lined up. There's Flonase for allergies. Our bodies need stuff that make us feel better so that we can go to work through not feeling well. Simple walking around brokenness over a long period of time grates on you. I, we complain about it. Oh, I got allergies again. What about being so lame you haven't moved in 38 years, waiting for bubbles to heal you that you cannot reach? Our problems can always get worse. They can. I recall sitting in a recliner for four months. Wishing I could just make it all go away or you can heal. Praying. you got to believe that the guy is praying. Can you take this cup from me? Just like Jesus we feel at times like we are praying drops of blood, just getting over physical ailments which affect what? Emotional brokenness. We have phobias and anxieties and OCD and ADHD and all the other things that we're diagnosed with. You know, there's a stat in our country from the American Center for Disease Control that says the leading cause of disability for younger Americans is emotional brokenness. You know what it's called? Depression. And it starts at 14 years old, and it goes to 50 years old, 44 years old. Leading cause of disability in our country is being able to deal with life, emotional brokenness. That can come from physical brokenness. How about relational brokenness? Think about the important relationships in your life, how they've been affected by anger, unforgiveness, mistrust. What are the things that I've done wrong to maybe break a relationship that I can't take back? 
Why won't she, why won't he forgive me? How can I get my parents to? Why can't this be repaired? It might not look the same, your brokenness, but doesn't it feel just as big? That's what I want you to think about tonight is when we put our lives into perspective, and even though that we haven't been nailed to a cross, we haven't suffered to the point, you know, as Scripture says, my depression still feels as bad as it can feel. Enough to not want to be here anymore. What is your situation? When you go to the pool, when you're at the pool, are you looking for bubbles or are you looking for Jesus? Our tendency is to look for bubbles. The challenge is to look for Jesus. We live in a broken world, so what can we do? I want to talk briefly about the process for healing. In verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, knew he'd already been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? What a question to ask. What do you think, moron? Who are you? Right? That's what you're thinking as a 38-year lying on the concrete outside of a pool. It almost seems mean. Why would I not want to be? But you would think his answer would be yes, because it seems like a yes-no question. Do you want to be healed? He doesn't answer that way, though, does he? Do you want to get well? What, what does he say in the next verse? He answered him, I don't have anybody to put in the pool when the water's stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. The first thing we often do when we are given the opportunity to deal with brokenness in our life, when we look to the bubbles, I say, I can't reach them. Why can't he get me there? I make excuses. The reason I'm not better is because I'm making excuses. And he had been familiar with this situation so long that he continued to do so. But he did so to the God of the universe that said, do you want to be healed? Have you ever heard from God, do you want to be healed, but didn't want to hear what he had to say until you told him this is impossible? And why? Do you want to get well? Well, maybe the answer should be just yes. And as believers, we ought to be yes a little bit more minded. A little bit more yes minded. He gives the Lord an excuse. And I want to tell you, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. It's the nails that build a broken house. An excuse paralyzes us. It get, keeps us stuck in our problems and in our brokenness. Excuses don't get us anywhere, and they solve nothing, except often just to make us feel better about being broken, which that, I don't believe, is God's. It's not his desire for us. Even when we look at the life of Job, when we look at him complaining, and he still cried out. And he came to a place, even after his wife said, curse God and die, he was able to come to a place of saying, not my will but yours, just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't understand this. I'm in it. 
I can't do anything. I give up. Yes, I want to be healed. Please make it happen soon. We make excuses. What are some excuses? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how badly I've been hurt. Why is my pain always bigger than their pain? Because it's mine. If I own the pain, I feel the pain. We ought to be able to be empathetic and passionate towards others because we've experienced pain. But oftentimes we aren't because we're focused on our own pain. You don't know how crippled I am. You don't, you, all these other people don't struggle with what I'm going We compare ourselves. We compare ourselves with a better situation. You notice that people like to do that. They like to have meetings and talk about how they were worse or they, they were better than someone else. There's something magical somehow about bragging about your downfalls. I'm worse than you. No, I'm worse than you. No, I'm worse than you. No, all have sinned and we fall short of the glory and we all have pain and we all are broken because we live in a broken world. What are we going to do about it? I would say that our excuses keep us tied to our problems and saying that you don't understand me accomplishes nothing because I don't understand you either. You might say I've been hurt in life. Who else has been hurt in your life? Just with a show of hands, who here has been hurt in life? Who? All of us. Every one of us. We've lost loved ones. We've experienced difficulty. We might have lost jobs. We've got emotional scars. There may be some abuse in our past. Everyone has something that's been heavy that they have to deal with, and that might be what God wants to heal in your life and in your mind. Why wouldn't he? He's going straight to you, and you're at the pool. He's passing all the other people, and he gets to you, and it's bubbling up, and you can't get to it. You need Jesus. Don't use someone else as an excuse. Don't use others not understanding. Maybe you say, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is this happening to me? We'll find out when we get to heaven. Why was Jesus nailed to a cross? Why, 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 why doesn't give us the answer? You're not going to have the answer. We do know that Jesus laid his life down for us. We do know that Jesus went to the pool and he said to the cripple, do you want me to heal you? Would you like healing? Which implies there's a possible healing that can take place. And oftentimes, what does that do? It requires participation. So when he asks us questions, when anyone asks you questions, what is the purpose of the question is probably more important. And better yet, who's asking the question? Is it Jesus meeting me? Or is it me just looking for a solution and missing my Savior? In our country, we like to teach everybody how to be a victim. There's a lot of money in victim. There's a lot of opportunity to collect money if you're a victim. I can feel really good as a victim for a long period of time and never heal. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg. 
week in, week out, I can go to a counselor and pay them $100 an hour for them to listen to me and then say, it's okay, lots of people deal with what you're going through. They'll diagnose you with some disorder and then give you medication to deal with the disorder. And what we tell God is, I have a disorder. Well, did you ever talk to him before you diagnosed yourself with a disorder? With another broken human being's brain. The God of the universe says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And he tells us that we should gather together and build one another up and encourage one another. And as healing is taking place, how does healing take place? Through the wisdom that he gives us from the word, through the support of our brothers, through dealing with reality. Sometimes we have to break the leg in order to reset the leg for proper healing to take place. This guy had two problems. He had physical, he had emotional, he also had spiritual problem. Well, that's three problems. I can't count. Actually, there's four because he had relational problems. The way we are is you don't know what I've been through. It's not my fault. Nobody's helping me. You don't understand what my situation is. Do you make excuses? I love what Scripture says in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. When we live in brokenness, we lose our hope and we end up going back. We feel good for a little while when we're medicated or whatever it is that we've put a Band-Aid on. If Jesus hasn't touched that because we're looking for bubbles, we've put a Band-Aid on it. We're basically sitting by the pool waiting more and we go through these cycles. I get better because I feel better, but I'm not really better. I've still got a broken leg and I'm limping. Well, now the Band-Aid's going to break through and I've got to do something else. God is a God of hope, and he wants you to have hope. He is a God of refuge. I don't care what your situation is. I don't have to know what your situation is to know that God loves you and knows what your situation is and wants to meet you where your situation is. So he does. I don't know when you look in your mirror at night what you see. What I see is either me and a complaint, what I need to fix, what I might not like, or I see the guy who needs a savior, who has to go to bed seeking the savior, waking up seeking the savior, knowing that he can fill the brokenness and heal the brokenness from the past. The new creation. The guy who didn't have to touch bubbles because I already was met with a God of mercy and love and hope. Because God can do anything. I'd love for you guys to be able to say that out loud. God can do anything. One, two, on three, God can do anything. What can God do? Why do we not believe it walking around? Because there's too many good explanations for why he can't. Satan is the father of lies. And he wants you to believe that not only can God not do 
everything, but maybe it was God that put you in this mess. Maybe there is no God and that all of this is broken. That's the father of lies. And when you look in the mirror and you go back to that, what happens? The hopelessness rises back up again and we don't fulfill the process of sanctification that God had in mind for us in the first place. We need to get well. In order to get well, we've got to be able to make, stop making excuses. We also have to rise up by faith. The man that Jesus deals with, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. Jesus didn't respond to the excuse. Did you see that? He could have said, well, I guess I'll move on to the guy with faith. I guess I'll move on to the next guy. He doesn't do that. He looks right past him and goes, I understand why you would ask that. Just be quiet, get up, and walk. Rise up is what we need to do. We need to rise up in faith. He doesn't sympathize with him. He doesn't empathize with him. He doesn't feel sorry for him. Oh, you poor, poor fellow. You poor, weak fellow. You've been sitting here for all this time. I know that she was married five times, and you've been laying here for 38 years. Oh. He doesn't do that. He talks sternly to him, and he says, okay, get up. You know what's amazing to me about that? Is that if you go to therapy after you have, after you have a surgery, what are you going to have to do? Right after my hip replacement, they said, get up, and I just went, I'm about to punch you in the face. <laughs> you don't feel like getting up, do you? Well, imagine being laid out for 38 years. You're atrophied. There's nothing that's working. You're thinking it's going to take therapy after therapy, maybe eight months to develop muscles that have been dead for years. But Jesus, in an instant, knows that all of that will be healed. When we have faith in the instant that Jesus says what he says, enough to get up and walk in obedience, we get stronger quicker. He can, we just said, do anything, correct? You either believe that or you don't believe that. This isn't blind faith. This isn't just do stupid stuff because you think you must hear from the Lord. But we tend to not want to get up when Jesus says get up. Get up, take up your bed, walk. To get well, we have to rise up. We've got to be willing to do what he asks us to do, and oftentimes we're not willing to do that. Whether it's an emotional case, a relational, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really an extroverted person, so I, don't, I can't deal with this confrontation. I don't want to deal with this confrontation. So what do we do? We don't rise up. We stay there looking for bubbles. We wait. Some people, we, we just don't want to get well. If we can't get well on our own terms that make sense, we don't get well. Think of the answer. Think of the examples in Scripture of people that responded to God and immediately in power, they saw him. They saw what only he could do. Peter. Jesus called Peter, get out of the boat. Peter gets out, and he's walking on water. 
He's walking on a solid ground. It doesn't make any sense. If Peter just, if you and I went out and got in the, if, if Randy says, David, get out of the boat, and I get out of the boat, what's going to happen? If I, it, yeah, Randy, Randy is probably, I don't, he's going to laugh as I go down. If I just decide to get out of the boat, what's going to happen? I'm going to sink. But if Jesus tells me to get out of the boat, he's going to make a pathway. The crippled hand. Jesus tells him, straighten your hand. His hand's withered up, and he says, straighten your hand. All of a sudden, he has the power to be able to do that. Where did that power come from? It was a combination of the God of the universe and your faith responding to the God of the universe. He made the way for that to happen. We need to keep that in our minds. We've got to resist making excuses, and then we've got to rise up when he tells us to. And then we've got to refuse to go back. He says, get up, take your bed, and walk. I wouldn't have wanted to go back, to be honest, if that was me. I probably would have been skipping and going somewhere else. All of this stuff is working. But oftentimes we do, don't we? We get up from something and we've been healed from it, but we go back to it. Oftentimes this might be a sin issue. Don't go back. When you get up and he gives you power, you take that testimony to move forward and you stay away from going back. You say, I'm not going to be a freeloader anymore. I'm not going to wait for somebody to take care of me anymore. I'm going to take the responsibility that God gave me to walk with what he told me to walk. I have my baggage, I have my legs, and I am walking my faith with my Savior for him. Finally, we see the power of the healer in our lives. God's power, like we just talked about, I think there are three things this miracle tells us about Jesus. Simply, he's better than religion. Look at verse 9 and 10. And at once the man was healed, he takes up his bed and walks. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk. How did they miss the miracle? To see that they violated some law. They kept adding and adding and adding. This law wasn't in the Old Testament, by the way. This is one of 39 new ones that they had put in there. You can't look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might see something wrong and have to fix it, and that's work. You can't spit on the ground because you'll have to clean it up because that's against the law, and that's like, you know, that's work. You'll have to work to move that out of the way. You can't wear false teeth because if they fall out, you have to put them back in. This is ridiculousness. Religion is like that, isn't it? You can't, Baptists were notorious for you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't do these things, and if you do, you're going to go to hell. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a nightmare. That will cause relational brokenness. We can't see that our loved ones need love, so we put burdens on them to behave their way to heaven, and I don't know why. 
but that's human nature. I expect someone else to be perfect while I just mess up every now and then. That's these crazy Pharisees, the religious leaders. They probably started with, we want to take the high road, and we've got these great intentions, and we're going to meet them. But it goes past that to not see love anymore, and we're going to kick the guy while he's laying down and miss the miracle of the God of the universe healing. The brokenness in our lives will never be healed by religious rituals or traditions or keeping religious rules. Finally, he comes across, and this is what really infuriates them, in verse 16 through 18. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He was equal with God. That's kind of a big thing to say. When you are equal with God, that's going to polarize people. Jesus claimed, not that he was a prophet, but he was the ultimate authority. And if he does, that would explain why he was able to do what he did. You and I, I believe, I believe with all of my heart, I've seen him do work in my own life. I know that I've met him personally. I know that I have a relationship with him. And if you have that, you know that you know that you know. And it's important that we go back there. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, he did something only God could do. It wasn't a good parking place at the mall. It was a miraculous event that people either noticed and ignored or left healed. He was broken for you and me. He's better than religion equal with God, and he was bruised for our transgressions. Isaiah 53, 5 in the Old Testament is a prelude to the gospel. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. His perfect plan was to make a perfect world, and we messed it up. So now there's brokenness. But we still have the God of yesterday, today, and forever, don't we? The God of yesterday, today, and to forever says, says to you tonight, do you want to be healed? So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I want to ask again if there's an emotional healing that needs to take place in your life. Maybe it's a relational healing. Maybe it's a physical healing. It does not matter to God. He's still powerful enough to handle that healing. I would challenge you. Look less for bubbles and more for Jesus. How do you do that? How do we practically do that? Pray. Pray honestly. Constantly stay in his word because he knows you. Know that he is a God of hope. And know that he loves you. And wants to see healing happen in your life. Why? 
the same way we, the reason that we started with the miracle in the first place. What happened? He left. Then they asked where he went, and they had to bring him back, and he pointed to Jesus. The cripple pointed to Jesus. The wine pointed to Jesus. You and I were made to point to Jesus. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. I want you to pray where you are. If you don't know Christ and you want to, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. He was broken on the cross so you and I could be healed at our deepest level. If you need prayer for anything, if you just want to pray at the altar, you want to pray where you are, just pray and worship. I'll be down here. We'll have guys in the back. Pray and worship.